busy. We get it. Listen on the go to Farm Journal Intel, the latest insights from our webinars and content streams to inform and inspire your way of life. Today, we're featuring audio from the June 5th Farm Journal webinar, Don't Take Your Eyes Off of ASF. Gordon Spronk, Patrick Webb, and Liz Wagstrom, some of the nation's top swine experts, explore the current state of African swine fever and what we've learned from COVID-19 that producers can apply and more. Hello, and welcome to Farm Journal Pork Week webinar, Don't Take Your Eyes Off of African Swine Fever. My name is Jennifer Scheich, editor of Farm Journal's Pork, and I'm joined today by some of the nation's top swine experts to explore the current state of African swine fever, what we've learned from COVID that producers can apply to foreign animal disease preparedness and more. But first we'd like to pause to recognize our Pork Week sponsors. Our gold level sponsors are Merck and PIC. Our silver level sponsors are Alltech, Hubbard, and United Animal Health. And our bronze sponsor is Hypor. Thanks to all of these companies for all that they do to support hog producers and promote hog health. To get started, I'd like to recognize our panelists today. Each of them will share key insights about African swine fever. We will spend the last 20 minutes of the webinar taking questions from the audience. You can submit your questions at any time using the Q&A link below. Our panelists today are Gordon Spronk of Pipestone Veterinary Services, Liz Wagstrom, Chief Veterinarian for the National Pork Producers Council, and Patrick Webb, Director of Swine Health at the National Pork Board. Dr. Sprunk, would you share a little bit about your role at Pipestone and start us off with an overview of African swine fever around the globe? Sure, Jennifer. Thank you, and thank you for uh, your efforts to keep African swine fever at the forefront. Uh, and I think one important thing to note for your audience is that uh, while maybe society's focus has been on COVID and other activities, uh, Liz and Patrick and others uh, have not taken their eye off the ball on ASF because it continues to circulate in the world. And so the five points on this slide to open the discussion with uh, are still true that uh, ASF continues to spread uh, across the globe. You can pick up any search engine that you would choose to use and uh, you'll find it circulating in, Af in India, in, uh, in Africa, in Russia, in, uh, in Asia. So ASF continues to spread globally. Uh, in addition, what, what's really, uh, I think, important for the North American swine industry, and we, you may have international uh, listeners, uh, but for North America, the game changer really was when, and the rest of the world, was when uh, this virus was, uh, uh, became, uh, uh, was found in the world's largest swine population in China. And really in that population, uh, they, they really will have no vision to eliminate or eradicate uh, the virus from that population. So you have the world's worst swine virus uh, in the world's largest swine population. Well, that's going to, that's, that was a threat then and it continues to be a threat now. And so Patrick and Liz will do a nice job of, of outlining the steps and the interventions that we've taken place that we have uh, implemented in North America to keep uh, this virus out of our population because that continues to be job number one. Uh, our vision certainly should be to keep this virus along with other viruses out of North America. So you see in the photos uh, there that 
Of course, culturally, we're different here in North America. You don't see photos like that much, uh, but they're very common in Asia and in other countries. So next slide, uh, if you would, please. And so the, the other thing that I think it's important for your listeners to, to understand is uh, at both the local, the state, and the federal levels, and, and again, Patrick and Liz will outline uh, our efforts at the federal and state levels, I think efforts continue uh, to keep ASF out of North America and the research that Patrick uh, will outline will uh, provide hopefully some reassurance uh, to your listeners that ASF continues to be in focus and continues to be uh, top of the list of, of making sure that uh, uh, we keep this virus out. And it, you made an interesting comment in your opening comments about COVID, what that's taught us. Well, what that has taught us is in some uh, uh, ways, there's a waterfall effect of the interventions because of COVID and the destruction of value, both at the, the closing of restaurants and the closing of our packing plants has unfortunately uh, forced us into some difficult decisions in regards to uh, euthanasia of large populations. And that uh, knowledge that we're gonna gain from that exercise is going to be helpful in the event of a foreign animal disease, whether it's ASF or foot and mouth disease or hog cholera. So at the end of the day, it's very important that COVID has taught us to know your state veterinarian where uh, euthanasia is occurring because of COVID. But in the case of a foreign animal disease, it's going to be very important that you know your state veterinarian uh, because they will have the local authority uh, of the interventions that would take place at the state level. So I'll turn that back over to you, Jennifer, unless you have any more opening comments that you'd like to uh, 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 greet your audience with. Well, thank you, Gordon. I appreciate that. That's a great overview of the disease. Now I'd like to move on to Dr. Weigstrom and have, um, have you give us a bit of an update on legislation and ASF vaccine progress that's been taking place over the last few months. But first, Liz, tell us a little bit about your role at MPPC, please. Thanks, Jennifer. I'm Chief Veterinarian at the National Pork Producers Council. For those of you who may not um, know the difference between NPPC and the National Pork Board, NPPC is a membership-based organization. We operate on voluntary funding from our members and allied partners, as well as our pork packers. And our, our main purpose is to advocate for trade and also to advocate on a reasonable legislation and regulation for the pork industry. So I'll go to the next slide. Um, these are some of the things I'll cover quickly and I will go on to the next slide. So as Gordon mentioned, um, ASF continues to spread in Asia and Europe. So have a couple maps here. The first one on the left side is of the Southeast Asia area or Asia total. You'll see we've spread it, uh, ASF has spread now down into Northeast India. It's very prevalent through um, Southeast Asia, into the Philippines, into the islands of Indonesia and Timor-Leste, which are getting very close to Australia. In Europe, we have a little slower spread. In fact, yesterday there was an announcement that the area of positive area in Belgium has been reduced to the point where they feel within the next few months, they're gonna be able to declare themselves free. They've not had any cases in domestic pigs, but they have in 
um, wild boar. And we do continue to see um, spread by people movement. So if you look at Poland, you see all that pink area in Eastern Poland. A lot of that has been the spread of wild boar as they move uh, westward. But then the, the pink and red area on the west side of the country, they feel that was from people moving illegal meat products and then it getting into wild boar and, and infecting animals. So next slide. So this is, a, this is my before slide, before COVID. We had 130 million plus international air travelers each year and over five times that many coming across at our land borders. And so what that means is that um, as we've looked at getting our customs and border protection really tuned in and focused on African swine fever, from 2018 to 2019, they saw a 2 to 3% increase in referrals to agricultural inspections last year, so in, in 2019. And they increased by 5% the level of illegal products that they, that they interdicted each day. And so they interdicted about 4,500 illegal agricultural products each day. 1,129 of those were meat. And sometimes it's hard to tell what this meat is. It's like mystery meat. But, but they do know that they had over a thousand a day that they were um, interdicting of meat. And Customs and Border Protection, you know, we has all been working along, the, you know, ever since African swine fever became more of a risk to increase signage, um, increase airline announcements and, and work on metrics. And we had a really productive phone call with them on Tuesday. So I'll, I'll update you on some of the newest things we're hearing. So the next slide, please. One of the things that we were happy with, and this seems like a lifetime ago, but 2020 appropriations really didn't happen that long ago, where both um, the House and Senate passed um, funding bills for routine or regular business. And in 2020, we had an increase of $19.6 million that was appropriated to Customs and Border Protection for increased agricultural inspectors, increased numbers of canine teams. So um, next slide. So we've asked Customs and Border Protection, what are you doing with those funds? So we got you more money. Um, tell us what you're doing and we'll keep fighting for even more money in 2021. And so what they're doing is even though training is on hiatus, they're not allowed to have group training um, sessions. They um, are hiring approximately 110 new agricultural specialists that will be deployed to various points of entry, 50 technicians that will support those agricultural specialists. So they'll have five each at the 10 largest airports, adding 65 canine positions that will be allotted to 23 international airports, mainly at the top 12. So they have gone through the hiring process as far as the getting applicants, interviewing applicants, and they have people identified that once training can open up, that they will start training on those, those people. The other thing that um, I don't have on the slide here is that we've gone from, um, you know, all of those millions of people coming in to the, on international flights to now where there's about 6,000 per day. So what are they doing with their downtime? We've talked a lot about that with them. And so if we go to the next slide, um, one of the things that they are very um, pleased about is that they've really worked to develop 
training materials for all Customs and Border Protection agents. So those frontline people that you give your passport to when you walk into the country, those are not your agricultural specialists. That's a secondary screening. So they want to give more training to the frontline person so they understand a little bit about epidemiology, viruses. They're taking advantage of the interest in the virus that causes COVID-19 to have put together some epidemiology training that would impact or be relevant to both animal diseases as well as human diseases. So they'll have about 25,000 agents that will receive a epidemiology 101 half hour course on how viruses move and, and a little bit on how to think about disease. And then they'll have 2,600 specialists that will go through the more advanced epidemiology 102 which is a four hour session, you know, it's not the four months or four years you could spend studying epidemiology, but it's gonna give those people that are the specialists an idea of why they're doing what they're being asked to do. So the next slide. Um, the other thing that they have worked really hard on at Customs and Border Protection is redefining or refining their targeting. So as travel patterns change and risks change, in that reduced uh, passenger travel, travel, they're trying to look at how to deploy resources to other risk areas. So express consignment, which would be like DHL or FedEx or some of those, they're looking at how do we take some of our people that normally would be in airports, move to that, that risk pathway. And they're also collecting better metrics on referrals and interdictions. When we had our phone call with them Tuesday, they uh, let us know that they thought that by July 1st, they'd be able to start putting out quarterly reports on, on those um, referrals and interdiction uh, reports. Next slide. Um, this is a few of the um, posters that they are deploy deploying around the airports. I think that the one on the left with the pig in a mask, they are um, not deploying because they were concerned that people might be confused about pigs and COVID, that was done before, before COVID-19, but they definitely are trying to you know, increase awareness at airports with signage. Next slide. And in 2021 appropriations, these are our, um, our NPPC pork industry priorities, and that includes another $74.5 million for Customs and Border Protection, as well as supporting our ARS research supporting our swine health line item in, in uh, USDA um, Animal Plant Health Inspection Service and fully funding our National Animal Health Laboratory Network, which includes um, all our state diagnostic labs. And then supporting funding for transitioning from Plum Island into the NBAF Center at, at, in Kansas. Next slide. Um, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't talk a little bit about current um, needs we have. There is a bill called the HEROES Act that passed the House of Representatives. It is the COVID-4 package, if you're counting packages, or maybe it's five. I'm not sure how many COVID packages we have. But in there, it not only is funding around COVID, it includes a $300 million um, appropriations for the National Animal Health Laboratory Network as well as the state block grants that we've talked about that are called the National Animal Disease Preparedness and Response Program, as well as a foreign animal disease vaccine bank. So um, the COVID stimulus could also help us in the long run um, in, if the Senate passes this, these same provisions. 
So we've talked and asked producers to reach out to their senators and urge them not necessarily to support the HEROES Act, realizing that that is a democratic piece of legislation, but to support the agricultural provisions in that act that include this funding that would be extremely important, not only for COVID, but also for an animal disease preparedness and prevention. So the next slide. Um, we have a Packer Business Continuity Group that's made, been meeting for several um, months, um, probably close to two years now. Requested of APHIS to conduct ASF-specific exercises for the Packers like we did with the producers last year. We had the first exercise scheduled in Kansas City for July 15th, but it's been postponed. But that group does continue to um, go forward looking at how to conduct an exercise as well as looking at um, perhaps the development of a compartmentalization-like plan. And when we get to questions and answers, I think Gordon would have something to say about compartmentalization as he's been involved in the OIE efforts. So the next slide. Um, foreign Agricultural Service Grants. We were fortunate last year to get $1.7 million from FAS uh, that came to the Swine Health Information Center for Research and Outreach in Vietnam working on specific projects, especially around um, validation of disease um, diagnostics. We've also are working to get some funding for additional outreach projects in the Philippines. Next slide. And the, the SHIC funding for Vietnam is looking at uh, validating oral fluids and other samples for both positive and uh, negative status herds, considering partial depopulation strategies and the determining protocols for repopulation. And so much of this will benefit Vietnam, but really we're hoping that a lot of those learnings will be utilized in the US. And the next slide. Um, I think this will be one of my final things, the North American ASF forums. We've had a series of them, Canada and Mexico hosted ones. They have significant global participation. So it was a little harder to talk openly among uh, when all of your trading partners are in the room versus North America. So there will be a next forum that will be hosted by the US. It was supposed to be middle of April. Obviously it was postponed due to COVID travel restrictions, but we are looking at having a North America only discussion and a North American swine working group underneath the chief veterinary officers so that we can really address ASF from the North American continent because we're all important trading partners of each other. And the next slide. Um, and just to pick up, I know Jennifer asked me to briefly touch on the ASF vaccine. There are promising candidates out there. We hear from Pure Brighton in the UK, as well as um, our Plum Island researchers. But just a, a thought that to be valuable to the US, we need a vaccine that prevents infection, not just reduces disease. It's got to not shed. A virus vaccine can't be shedding anything that could then um, not be determined if it was from vaccine versus, uh, versus infection. And we need a differential blood test. So um, any of you who lived through pseudorabies, remember we used to do blood testing. You could tell if an animal had a pseudorabies antibody from either vaccination versus infection. And so while the candidates are promising, none of them that we have seen probably fit all three of those criteria. And the next slide. I'll turn it over to Patrick, and I hope I didn't step on your toes with too much time, Patrick. Thank you so much, Dr. Wagstrom. Please remember, we'd love to have you submit your questions in the Q&A at the bottom of your screen. 
So next up, Dr. Webb is going to offer some of his thoughts that he's learned from COVID-19 and what's ahead for African swine fever from um, a preparedness standpoint. Um, would you start us off, Dr. Webb, with just a little bit about your role at the National Pork Board, please? Yeah, thank you, Jennifer. Uh, I'm the director of swine health, uh, but my um, job description really is uh, to do anything and everything related to emergency preparedness and planning for foreign and emerging diseases. And so I've been at Pork Board uh, 14 years working in, in that particular uh, mission space. And so um, today I want to talk a little bit about African swine fever, uh, where we've been, where we're going. Um, I think the main take home is while COVID has, has caused us some challenges, uh, major challenges in the industry, the work is, is still ongoing related to our top priority uh, as an industry, which is keeping ASF out of the United States and being prepared uh, to respond to it if it gets in. So next slide. Um, you know, we're coming up on three years. Uh, of working on this particular issue. And so right, right after we got uh, wind that it was in China, we put together the industry uh, collaborators that you see on this slide and started moving forward on developing strategies where we needed to look at risk and where we needed to look at preparedness. Next slide, please. So all sorts of groups have been pulled together to try to focus on ASF. And, and granted, we don't wanna forget about classical swine fever and foot and mouth disease either, but obviously ASF is a 100 pound gorilla in the room. We've got the National Swine Disease Council that's really focused on getting that big picture of uh, prevention and response. There's the ASF working group that is focusing on prevention, uh, put together a depopulation task force to try to look at new methods for depop. There was a, a Packer Business Continuity Task Force, an ASF crisis team, next slide please, uh, a Feed Risk Task Force, uh, and then the ASV's Committee on Emerging and Trans, uh, uh, Transmissible Diseases. All these folks have been in place and working very rapidly after, uh, after ASF was first reported out of China, and so a lot of work that, ha that we have now today is a result of those activities. I'll talk just a little bit about that. So, next slide. All right, the National Pork Board is one arm of the industry that, that can fund research, and the Swine Health Information Center is another arm of the industry that can do that. Uh, a lot of research was funded early on, uh, and we continue to identify research to fund, but because of that research, we are looking at developing technologies where we can, you know, test, uh, test feed for these type of agents like ASF. Um, so we need to have a good tests. We need to have valid tests that we can use. Uh, you know, there's a lot of disinfectant work that, that had been done, that had been done on, on disinfectants that weren't commonly used in the swine industry, and so we needed to do that kind of work. Because if we're going to have to disinfect the farm, if we know what we currently use on the farm is active against ASF, then you don't have to get any special supplies. Disposal options, and this is a, a painful lesson that we've learned, you know, we really need to work through the process of, of the best options and the, and the most um, easy and high throughput means to do any type of disposal where we have to either do high throughput euthanasia or depopulation of pigs. And so uh, a lot of research, uh, a lot of research has been funded in that particular area. Um, looking at animal samples and test validation, um, traditionally it was all whole blood for ASF. And so we had to work with USDA and we appreciate their work to validate those sample types that we, we normally send to the diagnostic lab today. Um, 
looking at composting and manure and survivability of ASF. That, those are areas that needed work. Um, how you, would you clean up a feed mill if ASF got in there? Um, and the survivability of import import products, all important research um, that's being addressed. Um, Dr. Wagson talked about the Vietnam project. You know, that's gonna be very important. Uh, one of the, the sample types we're trying to get validated for ASF is oral fluids because the industry is using oral fluids on a regular basis. And so that project is critical to getting that data that's needed to validate that test. Uh, Liz covered uh, uh, the vaccine, so I'll skip that and we'll move to the next slide. So if you look at what we were doing, we were talking to folks overseas with firsthand experience, you know, uh, folks like Dr. Spronk who's been over to China a lot and seen what's going on. Um, looking at reducing risk in the U.S. with garbage feeding, uh, responsible import guidance, uh, just all sorts of types of, of preparedness efforts going on there. Um, really trying to up our surveillance plan for, for African swine fever and get that thing more robust so we have more confidence in early detection because that's really what we need is early detection in our pig population if we even think we're going to get a hold of this thing. Next slide, please. So what have we learned from COVID-19 related to, to African swine fever? Well, if you look at our national veterinary stockpile, it was short on the equipment that the U.S. pork industry would need to do any type of high throughput euthanasia or depopulation. Um, so that's something that we're working uh, cooperatively to try to fix. Um, when you have a non-regulatory issue cause uh, you to have to do depop or uh, euthanasia, um, then there's a challenge on who leads that front. In many states, they don't have the regulatory authority to do that type of work without it being a disease event. And so the state veterinarians really had to work hard uh, to take the lead and really work with industry and the USDA uh, on how we were gonna respond uh, again what we learned is when you, when you put problems before pork producers, um, that's where you find your real good solutions that make sense, for, uh, common sense. And so uh, really our industry partners have stepped up, uh, look at the renderers, you know, offering up the, the capacity to be able to, or, increase, or the capacity to do uh, rendering of carcasses that uh, are the result of any type of depopulation. And then uh, just that research, we still need to focus on research related to depopulation and disposal. Next slide, please. If you look at the human side, um, I think, and this carries over to ASF too, we have to have effective response plans. We have response plans, but we've got to make sure that they make sense and they work. Um, we really have to have those valid diagnostic tests. Um, we saw that with COVID. Um, Effective vaccines, we don't have one for ASF. That would be a tool in the toolbox that we really uh, could use if we had it. But really, probably from my, my perspective, rapidly determining where disease is and isn't is one critical step for ASF, classical swine fever, foot and mouth disease. As an industry, if we don't develop that capacity to do that, um, we're gonna be behind the eight ball and it's, it's gonna hurt our industry. Uh, and so, I wanted to show you a little bit uh, about what we're doing behind the scenes with our AgView. Uh, next slide, please. So AgView is a database and dashboard technology that the National Pork Board has invested in developing. Uh, and it really is going to be that uh, foundation for producers to rapidly and securely share the needed data for, to a state animal health official in the event of an African swine fever outbreak in their state. The driver of this right now is African swine fever. We need to have a system in place that will allow that communication and visualization of data. We've got a lot of data in the industry and we've got a way 
we have to have a way to give it to the state vets and also have them look at it in a way that that makes sense for risk-based decision making. Next slide. So I'm happy to say uh, our developers are chugging right along. There's going to be two uh, users of AgView. So in November, uh, pork producers will be able to uh, access this, uh, this technology and set up an account. The two users that will have access to it, uh, there will be a producer user and then the state animal health officials. So this is the login using a, a producer. Next slide, please. So in November, when uh, we roll this thing out, the producer will be able to get in and set up their account. They'll be able to add uh, people within their companies to the organization and give them specific privileges in the organization. Next slide. Um, they'll be able to upload certain components of their premises data. Uh, that would be the company name, the name of the site, your pr premises ID number, the address, lat long, a location type, a site capacity the number of barns, the number of pigs, and an emergency contact person. Next slide, please. They'll also be able to map and up upload and map their data, their movement data. And again, the foundation for all of this was our Slime ID plan. Uh, it'll all be premises-based. Uh, producers will be using their prem IDs in the system to identify sites and using their records to identify those movements. Next slide. Laboratory data. This is pretty exciting. Uh, we're working with uh, uh, laboratories to be able to have them deliver the laboratory uh, results to AgView so they can be visualized along with the premises and movement data. And so uh, we actually do have a connection right now and are receiving live data uh, from one laboratory as part of the testing of the system. Next slide. So all of our producers who have done secure pork and have developed their plans have this stack of stuff that they need to do something with. And some states are taking that stack and some states aren't. AgView is gonna be the place for that information to reside to where it's standardized in a way that state animal health officials can access that information and, and verify that information. So that's where your biosecurity plan is gonna go. During the outbreak, that's where the EPI forms will go. Basically, it's where we're gonna use our Business continuity plan, that's the place where it is for our state vet to take a look at it. Next slide, please. Um, data management and sharing, there'll be some of that uh, within the producer account that they'll be able to do. Next slide, please. Um, they'll also be able to visualize their data in the Explorer view and manipulate that data. Um, next slide. So our state animal health officials will also have accounts. And so we'll go into what they'll be able to do with AgView in November. Next slide. They'll be able to set up their account. They'll be able to invite uh, their, their people into the account and provide them privileges. Next slide. They'll be able through AgView to create and manage an incident. Um, and our incident will be the ASF outbreak because that's the priority. So they will have the ability to either create an incident or if they have one running, be able to uh, manage that incident. So next slide. <clears throat> Within the incident, so once I started that, I'm gonna have to do my planning. So I'm gonna set up my disease control area. So the statement would have the ability to do that. Next slide. With that, they'd be able to designate the premises within their control area. Uh, this is a, a common practice uh, during response. You have infected sites, contact sites, suspect sites, at risk, uh, managed or monitored premises. So premises classification, go ahead. You can add your members to the incident. So these are the people in your incident command, you invite them in, next. 
Um, as part of that process of setting your incident up, that's where you do your request of producer data. So the way that this works is that when a producer puts their data in AgView, it's their data, they choose to share it. Um, and so the state animal health official would make a data request. And so they'll be, have that process within the system to request the movement, laboratory and premises data um, that producers put in AgView. Next. They can save the draft uh, of that incident or on the next page, when they're ready, they can go ahead and publish it, which would make that share request go out and producers would get that and automatically be able to approve the sharing of their premises movement and laboratory data in one click. Next. There's the screen that the producer would see, hey, you know what, the state vet needs this because we've got an outbreak, great, I'm gonna share it right now. And when that happens on the next slide, that's where the state vet would be able to start seeing what's been going on in his control area based upon the producers who have shared that information. This will also include laboratory data. We don't have uh, uh, that uh, yet to be on the uh, Explorer screen, but that's coming down the pipe. So next slide. Again, this is gonna be very important for business continuity. If you're in the disease control area and you don't have the disease, you're gonna to need to move your pigs. And so what ends up happening is they're gonna to have to verify attributes. And if you're moving across state lines, another state vet will have to verify that attribute as well. This is the place where they'll be, they will be able to do it. As part of this technology, one state vet will be able to invite another state vet into their incident. And this can allow for more streamlined sharing and verification of data related to the secure port supply that those state vets would need to see to be comfortable uh, for a permitted movement to occur. So they would be able to see the producer's premises information, the animal movements, their enhanced biosecurity plan, uh, lab results, EpiForm, observational data, and any other things that might be requested by the state vet for a permit. Next slide. So let's look at the value statement here. For the peacetime, producers are gonna be able to upload and visualize their premises uh, movement data uh, and have a place to put their site-specific biosecurity plans associated with the PREMS that are in AgView. And they'll be able to do some basic visualization of their own premises movement and laboratory data. But really the value is what we're doing is preparing to share. Because in wartime, the state vet needs that information and they needed it yesterday. And so this will enhance a producer's ability to securely share their data by premises. Um, it will enhance the state vet's ability to rapidly visualize that data and assess risk and it'll enhance their ability to uh, make those risk-based decisions, um, including verifying those attributes related to secure pork supply. In the future, uh, we'll continue to build out AgView. Uh, we'd like to build it out to, to enhance it to provide more day-to-day -day value of producers, which would uh, be done by expanding the type of data that producers might want to be able to visualize and use as far as for their uh, health and production. Uh, and we'll be enhancing some of the capabilities as well, how you can filter and query data uh, and do conditional formatting uh, so you can uh, better manage uh, herd health and production. With that, uh, I think that's my last slide, Jennifer. Thank you so much, Dr. Webb. Now it's your turn. Please submit your questions now using the Q&A at the bottom of your screen. To get us started, um, Dr. Sprong, could you share a little bit from your perspective you know, we've heard um, Dr. Webb talk a little bit about the lessons learned from COVID-19, especially around the areas of depopulation and euthanasia. What are some of the other lessons that you think we've learned that we might be able to apply towards ASF preparedness? Sorry about that. Technological unmute operator error, Jennifer. 
Um, great question on COVID. Uh, we've learned uh, the necessity, like Liz pointed out, and, and I think Patrick uh, pointed out, the, the cupboard was bare at the federal level. We, we need, and that's why it's very important that, that Liz pointed out, the $300 million to restock uh, the stockpile uh, to have at the federal level the necessary funding and leadership for when uh, an emergency would occur. We have to be ready to go. It's, it's too late. Once we've, we become infected, it's too late then. So I think that's a very important key point for your listeners to make sure that they understand in that HEROES Act, that $300 million ask, that's, that's an important lesson to, from uh, COVID. I think the other thing uh, that you learned from COVID is the importance of testing. In ASF, uh, in Asia, what we've learned is, is that testing, because of the nature of this virus, it's very important to have early detection. Much like it in COVID, it's, it's important uh, to, to understand where the virus is and who has immunity uh, so that the appropriate interventions can be put into place. So those are the, the two, that uh, preparedness at the federal level and making sure that as veterinarians, we understand uh, that we have the appropriate uh, uh, testing methodologies and that we're ready to go. That not only as I think Patrick and Liz pointed out with oral fluid testing, but simply having the ability to have uh, a sample taken and have same day results will dramatically improve uh, our ability to control a foreign animal disease, not only SF, but also hog cholera, foot and mouth or pseudorabies. Dr. Wagstrom, do you have anything else you want to add to that one? Yeah, I think Gordon did a great job. I think that along with the testing that he talked about, we need to know how to interpret the tests. Because I think what we've seen in COVID is what does antibody mean? Is it, you know, is this test as good as that test? Um, and so I think there's a lot of confusion around testing. And it would be just really shame on us if we don't get some of those answers taken care of before we have to deal with them during an outbreak of African swine fever. So Dr. Webb, we've got some AgView questions coming in. Um, will AgView premise application be mandatory? Could you say the question again? Sure, will the AgView premise application be mandatory? AgView itself, it'll be totally voluntary. Uh, pork producer uh, will be able to get an account at no cost, uh, but uh, it's not gonna be manda mandated. Um, the use though of premises identification numbers is mandatory within AgView because that's the uh, magical piece that connects all the data together uh, that the state vet would need to see uh, in an outbreak. And, and I didn't bring it up in my talk, but I wanted to, um, what those screenshots were uh, are actually uh, screenshots of that active code that we, we currently have. So the way our developer works, um, they develop code that you can use right off the bat. So um, that, that's, uh, that's pretty cool that we have the capability to do that um, and uh, allows us to do some uh, testing of the system with state vets and production systems. Thank you. Dr. Wagstrom, a question for you. Has CBP stopped any known virus entries of ASF into the country? 
Yeah, that's a great question. CBP does not test the product that they interdict. They treat it all as if it were infected. It goes to um, either sterilization um, methods or to incineration under under seal so that there's no way for it to get diverted out of out of that pathway. So they we don't know that they have because they treat everything as if it were an infected um, product. I'll turn this one to Dr. Wagstrom too. How do you see the USA using a vaccine? Do you think it will be used in domestic swine or in feral swine? That's that's the sixty-four bajillion dollar question. Um, first of all, if we get a vaccine. Um, that is differentiated so that you could tell an infected pig from a vaccinated pig that opens up more um, more opportunities. The challenge with international trade and we still are exporting a lot of product, um, a lot of that product that we produce that is not edible here, such as our variety meats is still being exported and providing value to our producers. Um, if we were to proactively and prophylactically apply vaccine were to come out, we would have to be very careful that our trading partners would be accepting of us having a vaccinated swine herd. And so those are the challenges you have to have on a domestic pig vaccination is, you know, can you differentiate vaccinated pigs from infected ones? Will your trading partners accept product from vaccinated pigs? And so those conversations aren't really taking place a lot on the international level yet because there's not a vaccine. Um, and then ideally, if we had a vaccine that could be an oral bait for feral pigs um, that could prevent our feral pigs from becoming infected or um, spillover from any domestic pigs to feral pigs or vice versa, um, that would be a great tool. But again, we have to Assure, we have assurances from our trading partners that if there were a feral pig vaccination that it would not impact our ability to trade um, our domestic pig product. So Dr. Webb, will information from AgView be compatible with EMERS? Okay, so um, the the emergency uh, management emergency management response system EMERS uh, that USDA has that is their database of record for foreign animal disease outbreaks, um, and so that's what they use. Uh, been using for high path avian influenza. Um, we are in talks with them regarding uh, developing that pipeline, so to say, to be able to share information into EMERS because they need that as part of their documentation. Um, for things like getting back into trade, uh, which will be very important. And so um, we're at a place with USDA that those discussions are occurring. Um, there's a lot of interest on the side of USDA to make those connections, uh, and we want those connections as well. Uh, there'll be some value there too, because it'll allow us to actually put the data into EMERS in the right spot versus having to hand it over to a human to, to put it in. So yeah, um, 
I know that there's also other third-party databases that have been working uh, with USDA uh, to be able to facilitate that type of communication. So uh, feeling uh, positive about our progress in that direction. Thank you. Dr. Sprung, will China be able to shake ASF? And if not, how do we contain and mitigate our risk as we go forward in the U.S.? want to make sure I understand the question, uh, Jennifer. It's, it, the question is asking if China will contain ASF? If they'll be able to shake ASF, and if they can't shake ASF, how will um, we be able to mitigate our risks going forward? Well, I'll, with permission, I'll translate the question. When someone says shake it, I assume they mean that they either want to eliminate or eradicate it or whatever words you use. And I think it's necessary for uh, a student to understand in China, they have many viruses already circulating in their swine population with no intent to eliminate them. As an example, foot and mouth disease is present in the Chinese swine population, or hog cholera is present in the Chinese swine population, or pseudorabies. Well, now, in the U.S. and North American swine population, we've eliminated those viruses many, many years ago. Grandpa and Grandma, they, they eliminated foot and mouth in the 20s. Hog collar was uh, eliminated by our fathers uh, in the 50s and 60s, and pseudorabies was actually eliminated in uh, the 80s and 90s. And hopefully, I think this current generation in the U.S., I think we should focus on keeping it out. In China, there's really no, it, it's, a, it's a cultural difference. It's just the way people and cultures approach disease. Being critical, it's just making the observation that uh, they will probably not shake it as your questioner asked. Fair enough. Um, Dr. Wagstrom. When will an improved PCR test be available and permitted to be used by VDLs? For African swine fever? Um, I'm assuming that's a question, and I, I yes, think I'll refer to Patrick as well. Um, there's a lot of the research that's gone on around PCR tests. The official PCR test that is used um, for African swine fever was developed at um, Plum Island, and that is a process that when a test is developed, it goes through the National Animal Health Laboratory Network um, committee that, that approves tests and, and then gets them out to the labs, make sure the labs are all um, proficient in um, running those tests. So it's a fairly long process, and then there is feedback from the labs. So I think at this point in time, we're back into the kind of feedback from the labs loop to say of our current test, we've been proficiency tested on, what is it we don't like? And they've done a lot of improvements as Patrick mentioned. We've added um, all sorts of sample types. So it's no longer just whole blood. And as we continue to work on um, oral fluids and ask them to work on that, there will be a feedback on what works and what doesn't work. I don't think we have a timeline because it's gonna be ever evolving. And depending on research that's funded both at the USDA level, as well as what Schick and what Pork Board are funding. So Patrick, I don't know if you have anything more to add to that. You know, it, if I could comment, Jennifer, uh, Liz and Patrick, this is an interesting 
observation, right? In the United States, and in most of the world for that matter, before we can use a test, it has to go through the appropriate sensitivity, specificity, uh, and approval process so that we, we really want to avoid a false negative, uh, and we also want to avoid the false positive. Well, in Asia, we have our own lab for ASF. We uh, are running our own uh, laboratory. We, we, uh, we find it very valuable because we wish to detect the positives as soon as possible because then we can remove that positive from the herd and because of the value proposition. We don't want to populate our herd in Asia because the pigs are so valuable. As an example, uh, wean pigs today in the United States uh, are anywhere from zero to $10. In, in Asia, they're anywhere from, uh, they recently came down from $300 a wean pig to now maybe trading at $200. So it's very important and very un, uh, uh, to understand the difference between, again, how different societies in different countries approach a disease. Uh, the test we use uh, is commonly available in, in Asia. And yet we want to go make sure that in North America that we have the appropriate sensitivity and specificity before it's used. One of the things, just to add to what Gordon had said, I do know that USDA with Schick has looked at comparing some of the uh, commercial tests that are out there from various manufacturers, either um, most of them, I believe, are European, some in the, maybe in the United States. So there will be not only the test that has been developed by Plum Island, but also a look at um, for any surge capacity, if there are commercial test kits out there that would have the um, appropriate sensitivity and specificity. Dr. Webb, what are you guys doing in terms of looking at populations of African swine fever virus in feral swine or um, wild pigs in the U.S.? Um, could you talk a little bit about any surveillance that's going on or just kind of give us an update on the feral pig situation? Yeah, certainly. Uh, so one of the accomplishments early on between the industry and USDA uh, back when ASF was discovered in China was bringing the ASF uh, active surveillance program online um, to uh, actively look for ASF um, through different sample types that were coming into the diagnostic labs or samples that are collected as part of our classical swine fever surveillance program. And so um, with that, um, we know that, that USDA is, is running that program and we're getting uh, testing done uh, specific to African swine fever and, the, and commercial pigs. Um, related to uh, feral swine, and, and Liz can also speak to this a little bit, um, to my knowledge, I don't think uh, there's been any testing in feral swine populations, but um, we're currently uh, working with USDA to address that issue. Would, would you agree with that, Liz? Yes, actually I was smiling because we have a call at one o'clock about this with, with USDA Wildlife Services, um, one o'clock. Central time. So those of you on the Eastern time zone, don't worry, we're not, not going to cut you off. Um, and they do have within the surveillance plan found dead wild pigs that look suspicious. So pigs that aren't like hit by car or, or killed by bear or whatever, that um, if wildlife services is notified or, or finds those animals, they can test them. To date, we're not aware that they've been testing any, but, but that is part of the plan. But 
it's um, it's probably a pretty unusual occurrence for those found dead wild pigs that would actually fit that case definition or, or those those mandates around when they can test. Dr. Wagstrom, I'll send this one to you at first, but anybody feel free to chime in. How much confidence do you think our pork international trading partners have with our ASF plans and our success so far in being able to keep the disease out of U.S. borders? I am not aware that any of our trading partners believe we're covering up African swine fever. Um, I think that they look at the fact that we are um, have a healthy national animal health laboratory network and that we have expanded our ASF um, surveillance. And like I said, our, our trading partners are not um, making us aware that they have any concerns that we are still a negative country. Um, I think when we, if not when, if we were to have a case, then we will go into um, active negotiations to make sure that our trading partners feel confident that we can identify those cases where they are, that we could regionalize if we are able to regionalize and have free zones versus negative zones. So that will be a new set of negotiations where we'll have to prove that we're capable of identifying and, and containing those areas. Did anybody else have anything they wanted to add to that? I think Liz answered that question appropriately. Uh, it's a matter of trust, Jennifer, and right now I think our our uh, the U.S. brand is a well-recognized and well-trusted brand in agriculture around the world. So speaking of trust, since you bring that up, um, one of the questions that I received was, how much visibility and trust do we have in the depth of our knowledge of China's ASF cases? Dr. Sprunk? Yeah, I'm not sure that I'm not sure what the questioners are getting at. That uh, the the ability, to, and of course, my perspective is going to be different than most. As our team has operations there, so we understand, uh, if you will, boots on the ground uh, that ASF continues to circulate in the uh, China population. We've had ASF in our operations. I, I think we've talked about that openly. Uh, we currently are cleaning up a herd right now uh, using the previously we used depopulation, but now we're using what the Chinese refer to as tooth extraction because we have different uh, tools and methods that are available to us in China. So uh, I think it's just a matter of making sure that as, as any data or communication, you, uh, you constantly check and you update and you, you, uh, you use as the words of a previous president, right? You trust but verify. Thank you. Well, we've got one more question in the queue here. Um, what methods of high throughput euthanasia are producers and state officials mainly considering in the case that ASF arrives in the U.S.? Dr. Webb? Yep. So um, when you look at uh, high throughput, um, the challenges that we've, we've had with COVID is that um, you need equipment along with the, the method. So uh, for instance, if you would like to use some high throughput uh, pneumatic captive bolt type technology, well, you need a V restrainer and you need the setup to do that type of work. And that's what was lacking. 
And so uh, I think what we're looking at in the areas of research that have been funded, as well as some of the projects we're looking at funding is you've got to build the equipment. So CO2 is a great option uh, for uh, euthanasia. Uh, it can be used for depopulation according to the AVMA guidelines on depopulation. But again, you have to have the right equipment to have the high throughput. And so we're seeing uh, production systems right now kind of working through that process. Um, you know, one of the things that's a challenge with CO2 is you have to vaporize it. And so there are low tech ways to do that and there are high tech ways to do that. Um, but we don't really have a kind of a mid tech uh, way to do that that's commercially available. So producers uh, can follow some of the directions that North Carolina uh, has put together on building, a, you know, a low cost vaporizer. So it's all, all those type of methodologies, <clears throat> the use of maybe nitrogen foaming, uh, that's a research project that's been funded uh, looking at uh, electrocution, uh, you know, all of those things will work, uh, but you need to have the right equipment. And that's really where we, we saw in COVID that, that we were short. And so we're going to work to really remedy that so we can have some of these methods and materials. But really more importantly, and I think this goes back to, um, we need to have the assets, but we really need to focus on keeping it from getting over here. And if it does get here, we got to focus on catching it as quickly as possible. And in order for us to actually limit the amount of, of depopulation that we would have to do, we have to have the ability to share that information that the state vet needs to figure out how far and how far and widespread or how close and, and contained that outbreak might be. And, and that's the value of, of AgView. I just to add on to what Patrick just said, I think um, getting the extra $2 million in funding that USDA put into the stockpile is going to be extremely valuable. One of the things to think about that's different between what we do with African swine fever and what we've had to do with some of the depopulations around uh, plant capacity is that with African swine fever, you're not going to want to move animals to a central spot to do depopulation. They're going to likely have to be done on the site so you're not moving diseased animals. So that restrain some of the methods that may be used in the central sites. So I know we're coming up upon noon, but I did want to catch this last question quick that we received just now. Um, Dr. Webb, do you think the rest of the world will lock out the U.S. if an outbreak occurs in Canada? Ooh, that's more of the policy side, I think. Uh, I'll give you my opinion. Uh, it will depend. Absolutely, it will depend. Um, and so, but I'll let Liz hit that since that's more a policy question. Yeah, it's, I liked it, Patrick's answer, it depends. And one of the things that's gonna depend on is how good we are at surveillance, how good we are looking for if somehow something got across, how good we are at doing tracebacks to whatever herds in Canada might have been positive and what, what's come out of those herds, what people and pigs and vehicles may have traveled into the United States. So it's gonna be a massive epidemiology um, detective work looking to see if, we, if the US is affected by anything that happens in Canada. And then it'll be negotiations. How can our, our USDA negotiate with our trading partners to show that we are trustworthy? Well, I just wanna say a huge thank you to our panelists. Dr. Sprong, Dr. Wagstrom and Dr. Webb. We appreciate your insights and and leadership um, in this area for the pork industry. 
I just want to share a few quick programming notes. You will receive a replay of this webinar in the next few days to watch on demand. And you'll also find an archive of this session under the Education tab on ForkBusiness.com. And we invite you to join us for additional free online learning from Farm Journal. These include the future of American ethanol on June 11th at 3 p.m. Central Time and technology traceability and the beef industry of the future on June 19th at 11 a.m. Central Time. We also invite you to attend our virtual event, Farm Journal Field Days, August 25th to 27th. You can learn more about this premier virtual experience at fjfielddays.com. Thanks again for joining us for this special webinar to recognize pork producers and our industry. Find the latest on African swine fever at porkbusiness.com backslash ASF. We'll see you next time. Want more great content like this? Farm Journal Field Days is a combination of virtual and live programming on August 25th through the 27th. The more than 100 informational sessions align with key interests and needs of the crop and livestock sectors. Visit fjfielddays.com to register right now.